Andy, how are you enjoying your last day of 2023? Oh, 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 hello, Rachel. Sorry, I, d- I didn't recognise you at first. It must be your red arm. Oh, I just didn't recognise you at all there. Yeah, sorry. It's, could I you, can understand. Could you possibly explain that to me in some Thai media about why your arm is now red? Uh, yeah, obviously. Um, if you tune in to the book that's published alongside these podcasts, you'll find out why my arm's red. Okay, fine. Yes. But you'll know nothing about me well the coolest person <laughs> in this film. <laughs> ah, here we are, The Force Awakens. So, so we're, we're in the 21st century, we're in the sequel era, Disney, Star Wars, hashtag Kathleen Kennedy ruined Star Wars, all that fun stuff and the world that we're in. I mean, I'm, I'm conflicted at the moment. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, I really was... I really enjoyed the six movies up until this point. I even enjoyed Attack of the Clones because I knew it was going to be crap. And it was fun crap, I think. Go back and listen I, I to the other day. I don't think I don't think I could go as far as to say I enjoyed Attack of the Clones. But I'll tell you this much. It, 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 it was certainly a film that was made that we have watched. But it did spawn a lot of things that I do love. So that that is fun. But, but here we are, The Force Awakens uh, and... and I mean, let us cast our minds back to the heady time of uh, 2015, which, uh, fucking hell, that was a while ago, wasn't it? That, that was in the before before times, you know, before everything went to shit. Uh, it was. Do you remember where you were when you heard the news, when, when you heard there was more Star Wars? Do you remember how you felt? Were you excited? I was excited when I first heard. You think Star Wars had been a thing through my childhood? Again, my... my... Uh, pre-teens and early teens Star Wars had been made so you know I was now in my 20s and yeah we are getting more Star Wars like I was the person who was excited like the people who were excited when the prequels came out or were coming out (laughs) Um, and I relate a lot to those people actually in my disappointment Uh, but no I was well I remember I was studying uh, in the north of England I was super excited like yeah they're making new Star Wars Uh, Abrams is attached yeah he's a good director you know he'd just done Star Trek um, or was doing Star Trek And, you know, he was deemed a good, solid, up-and-coming director. Lucas wasn't making them, which I felt was an important factor. Um, Yeah, I was not... I was not against any of this. Uh, I liked John Boyega's great um, from Attack the Block. Oscar Isaac obviously had done some interesting things. Uh, He'd been in X-Men. And Daisy Ridley hadn't done a huge amount, but, you know, was solid acting talent. Yeah, I I was full of hope. What about you? Where were you when you heard this was coming? Where was I, where, where was I in the heady days of 2015? Uh, I, I was massively excited for this film, and in no small part due to the utterly fucking amazing trailer that they dropped. If you get a chance, I highly recommend everyone go and watch the, uh, the trailer for The Force Awakens because that is a masterpiece in building hype and, and just hitting all the buttons to just try. Who, whoever made that trailer deserves a goddamn Oscar because it's a fucking masterpiece. And John Williams, I, I maintain perhaps his single greatest piece of Star Wars music is in that trailer. It is it, it, it's, it's just magnificent to watch. And I, I was all of a hype. I went midnight screening to the O2 Arena, to the IMAX fair, along with uh, I, I think Darren, Martin, um, my wife, Am- well, my girlfriend at the time, Amber. You know, 
and this was like the first midnight screening we'd done together. But it, it, it was it, this was a big deal, hugely excited. We went, we watched the film, and I got to tell you, at the time, I loved it. I'm, I'm not I'm not going to make a bonus. I'm not going to pretend anything. I sat there, I was massively entertained. Han Solo was back. Luke Skywalker was in it. Carrie Fisher, you know, all our friends. It had the music. It had the explosions. It had the pew pew pews. You know, this was. Star Wars. This this was, you know, at, at the time watching this, it was just a a a delight for the senses. I would <laughs> this this film was a sugar rush. It was a massive sugar rush that, you know, it, after the and again, my love of Revenge of Us, if notwithstanding, the prequels, taxation of the trade routes and uh, arguments in the Senate and the separatists and you know, it 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 was a slog, certainly at the time. But this this was just all of the sugar, all of the sugar in all of my veins. It was amazing. Um, so yeah, at the time, I was very like, oh, this was amazing. Uh, and then, you know, you leave and you, as you do after you've seen a film, you, you sit down with your mates and, you know, on the bus on the way back, and, you know, you just start chatting about it and, and, and go, oh yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, this bit didn't make a huge amount of sense. And um, I mean, what I mean about that was a story for, for, for later. And oh, it's, I'm sure they'll explain this in later ones. Um, but uh, the, the longer we sat with it, the more these things happened. But I didn't let it deter me. And then I went and saw it again. I, I think I saw it before... I don't know. And I, 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 I've seen this one since the cinema, but before we watched it again now. And I remember thinking, OK, it's... it's you know, it's, it's mostly a remake of Star Wars, but, you know, that's, that's kind of fine. You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's good. And now I've watched it just now, and if I could sum up my thoughts about Force Awakens now, I'd say... It's a very expensive fan film. So my experience was seeing it again at a midnight showing at the UK's oldest IMAX cinema, uh, which is in Bradford, um, which is where I saw kind of all my midnight releases and IMAX stuff because it's it was built in the 80s and it's so big. It's just ridiculous. Like, they don't make them like that anymore, uh, but it was great. Um, they'd had the place redone especially for this film so they'd had um, the IMAX screen replaced specifically for The Force Awakens Um, you know that's how much cinemas were invested in showing this movie and I saw the midnight showing and was definitely brought in with the hype with the people that I was seeing it with and the cinema and everything else I saw it again a week and a half later maybe certainly just before Christmas again and I was less interested I don't know seeing it the first time around at the midnight showing it felt like going and seeing like a live band you know when you see your favourite band perform live and you kind of forgive a load of stuff because it's the atmosphere and everything else it's like an event but then when I actually went to go and watch the film another time I didn't enjoy it as much I found that the characters are underdeveloped and that the story is too much A New Hope rewritten. I wonder if you played these two movies next to each other, if stuff even happens at the same moments across it, because it happens in roughly the same spaces. And I think that's what I found. I've probably, I've not watched this film since the cinema, I don't think. Um, Or if I have, it's been a while ago. And watching them in this kind of order that we have done for this kind of this this holiday season i really felt how much it was trying to be a new hope but didn't feel like star wars at all for me this was not a star wars film it was trying to be a star wars film it was like if we show you lightsabers and the millennium falcon and 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 stormtroopers then obviously it's a star wars film 
but it didn't have... It's almost like it's it, it's Wish.com Star Wars. I, I don't think it's that bad, but I can tell you a comparison which came to me when I was watching this, and I wonder if you'll agree. This feels like DLC. This feels like, you know, when you're playing a game, you've maxed out your character, you know, you finish the story, you know, you've had a good romp across the world, uh, and, and then a little while later, you know, there's a DLC drop, or you, you're kind of still wrapping up some side quests. I think... I, I don't disagree. I think you were almost right with a fan film. This is an homage to Star Wars rather than a mm. Star Wars film itself. And I really wanted to love this film watching it today. I really wanted to be like, yes, this is Star Wars. I love it. But having watched Revenge of the Sith yesterday, that felt more like a Star Wars film than this one does. I mean, for all of its faults, Revenge of the Sith has got a lot of fucking heart. There's no, there, there is no heart and soul in this. I think that's, I think you've, that's the exact word. I don't, and and that feels really shit because visually this film is beautiful. Some of the tableaus we have in it, some of the the cinematography, the um, excellent combination of puppets and and CG. You know, it's flawless in that respect almost, and. I don't think the actors are acting badly, but you've got these new characters and they're well acted and they're good. They are really good actors in their own right. They are top of their craft. And I don't know how they are so misdirected in this. I mean, to be clear, they are better directed in this than the the actors in The Phantom Menace and in Attack of the Clones were. I mean, just, just to be clear, they are better directed in this than Hayden Christians was in Attack of the Clones. But I, I think the problem is, in this film, they're filling archetypes. They're not really characters. Ray is there to be our Luke, effectively. You know, it, it, it's, it's they're there to kind of fill certain archetypes. Kylo Ren. I mean, I don't think he can make it any more obvious who he's trying to be, if he didn't have the burnt and ruined mask of a person he's trying to be. Um, it, 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 it just, it really. Yeah, fan fiction is the way, and, and you, you know you were saying that um, you feel it was written by someone who perhaps doesn't get, you know, it, it felt too corporate, someone who doesn't necessarily love it. I think the problem is that J.J. Abrams loved Star Wars too much. Oh, so you, you think the problem is he loved it so much he squeezed it too hard and all the love came out? Well, I I, I think this is, you know, it, it, it's his fan fiction. It's his love letter to Star Wars. This is the film where, and, you know, he, as far as he knew at the time, he was just getting to one. So he wanted to do his take on Star Wars. And and J.J. Abrams is a, I've often described, he's, he's a fantastic mimic director. He's very good at aping styles and themes. Uh, if, if you've ever seen Super 8 that he did. Yes. Uh, you know, which, which is a fantastic kind of aping of the... Um, Steven Spielberg, you know, the sort of style of, of, of things, you know. He, he's And a, a lot of the stuff he did on, on, on TV stuff, he's, he's very good at kind of mimicking stuff. And then when he came to do Star Trek, you know, he was very vocal that he didn't love Star Trek growing up. So he kind of just took it as a space action adventure, and I think he made one fantastic Star Trek film. And then <laughs> he found out he was doing... Then he found out he was doing Star Wars and lost interest in doing the second Star Wars film he was uh, Star Trek film he was involved in. But I think the thing here is he loves Star Wars too much that he is trying to put all of his favorite things in there and 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 you know show his love for Star Wars by just making Star Wars. And I think that's the problem. I, I think if you look at some of the what's in my opinion are better Star Wars things we've had of late, the big standout is probably Andor. And famously, Tony Gilroy is not a Star Wars fan. He's just looking to tell a really good story. And I think that's the key. But can you see why 
they picked J.J. Abrams at the time? Well, yes, because he'd just done one of the biggest science fiction films uh, in the last decade and was seen as a reliable, safe pair of hands. <laughs> and this film made bank. There's no two ways about it. This film was... Oh, was I think it's still the most... It, it's still one of the top three most successful films of all time. It's like $2 billion worldwide. Yeah. With a B. Billion. I mean, it was the most expensive film when it was made, but it made the money back. And then Disney paid off its investment in Star Wars on this one film alone. If they never made another Star Wars show... Once they bought it, they made their money back just on this. Let's let's talk about the actual film. We've spoken around the film. Let's talk. Let's talk the actual film. Okay. I think this has got the best opening crawl in all the films. Well, certainly so far, it, it's 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 a great opening crawl, and it's exactly what you kind of want to see in that situation. It just starts. You know, mm. it's a mystery at the start. There's some good answers to what's been happening over the last twenty years, and we pan down onto a new planet, and. That silhouette of a ship coming over the top. Fuck me, that's good. That is some beautiful cinematography that tells us everything we need to know. And well, I, I, and can I just say, I love the, I love the redesign of the, um, the star. Well, the revamp of the Star Destroyer, the Resurgence class. I really like it. Yeah, it just, it slaps. It slaps in the right way. And it feels grown up with the lighting and the visual stuff. You know, when they when all the stormtroopers are in their carrier and stuff, and the light. You know, it feels like it's grown up. It feels like we're embracing modern filming techniques and modern styles um, in a good way. Well, see, I, I, I well, I, I don't, know if, I don't know if I agree with you there. I, I was very taken out of it, in because because I love the crawl, and and I love that bit on the planet where you have Max von Snydow uh, for his you know, 30 seconds of screen time. But what really took me out of it is, you know, the flashing strobe stuff inside the um, the dropships there. And just a, there was a couple of shots that I'm like, the, these feel too too modern. These feel too out of place. It's very frantic filmmaking. which film, didn't... definitely. But they're... But I'm saying it, it, it just took me out of the moment. Oh, okay. okay, I see your point. Um I also something that right. This is such a nothing thing to have noticed, but I found it really noticeable that they set it at night on the first planet. I don't think we've ever had much night stuff in Star Wars, other than that stuff on Coruscant, with Padme being assassinated, not assassinated. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on um, uh, Endor at night in the Ewok village. That's true. Um, and. Um, but predominantly, Star Wars I mean, takes place. I mean, a, a, lot, a lot of it does take place in space, which tends to be dark. But in terms of on planets, we don't do a lot of nighttime stuff on planets. Was my point? Yes, now that that, that, that is fair, and I, and I like the introduction of uh, Poe. Uh, you know, BB-8 is cool, and you know, it's again you're kind of thrown in the middle of an adventure. We don't know who Max von Sydow is. Okay, that's fine. I think it would be better served perhaps by having a character we seen in the original trilogy or even the prequels just so you've got a reference but i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna mark it down for doing something which i've often complained about where every you know everyone who's in the film is in every film you know that that's fine and again max von snyder is a great actor the, the entire sequence and and the uh, the storming of a village it, it's it's very cool although uh, again it's it's probably a small nitpick on my part i did notice as the camera kind of follows the stormtroopers running 
from the ones which has land forward there's already a body of a stormtrooper lying over the yeah. ground but that's fine <laughs> Did you, for me the stormtroopers felt more kind of real and agile than they ever have before and I don't know if that's mm-hmm. just because in all the prequels they're animated at a point where they couldn't animate them this well and obviously in the original trilogy they're people in suits and they're far more restrictive but this time they actually felt like a proper army force they felt like they could move and do stuff and they weren't so stifled <laughs> I could see that. I mean, you know, stormtroopers have always just been a little silly, if we're honest. Uh, and, and, and these seem like the high-budget version. They're still silly, but it's now silly as made by Apple. It very much felt like the, uh, the 2009 Enterprise Bridge of stormtroopers. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Blood. Blood on Finn's helmet. I was... I knew it was in there. Obviously, it's quite a famous shot. But I think having watched the other so frequently, there's not a lot of blood in Star Wars. No. I mean, you, you basically have um, the arm that uh, Obi-Wan slices off in, in Star Wars, uh, and then that's it. <laughs> well, you have Luke's face um, in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, I don't think that's bloody. I, I think that's just more... Oh, well, it's, 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 not, it's a little bit of blood, but I know that was yeah. to cover up scarring yeah. that they then... Because obviously they mm-hmm. had to write that in because of an accident. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I was quite... I, like it was one of those things I knew it was there but again watching all these films together it really kind of again it kind of took me out of it that there was now blood on his helmet I feel he could have had a, a cracked helmet so some of his face was showing through I feel we could have done that same thing in a different way that would have felt more mm. Star Warsy. I did really like uh, the introduction of Kylo you know when we see him uh, arrive um, you know his voice modulation you know it's, it's different to what we, we had with Vader you know, it was kind of interesting. The dialogue was great. And I love that we kind of get a sense of his force powers when Poe shoots at him and just stops the um, the blast midair. So I thought that's a very cool People got really annoyed at that. Do you remember people really annoyed? Like, yeah, that's not how the force works. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, in Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> Vader, he doesn't stop a blaster, but he takes all the he takes the shots to the hand when hand shoots him. Yes. Um, my assumption is that's just a, a technical ability then versus now on how they can do that but that to me that's virtually the same thing well if it makes you feel better i suspect that uh, people who um will very quickly forget about that particular force power when we get to the next film and a demonstration of different force powers but um Mm. i I may i may be you know judging ahead there slightly for for the new year tomorrow in fact we will tomorrow yeah but but on, on the whole I really in, enjoy this kind of opening sequence, you know, of, of, of diving back into the world of Star Wars. Um, I'm, I'm engaged. I'm interested. You have my attention. Let's see where we go with I this. I find the dialogue very clunky. As soon as we start getting a lot of talking, it falls flat. But and that, that's, that has been a Star Wars staple kind of throughout, though. That's true. You know, um, it, it, it's... it's, it's <laughs> Just we've just gone through the original trilogy. I mean, the prequels are terrible, but I'm saying even if you go back to the original trilogy, especially Star Wars, the dialogue in A New Hope, oh my God, that is clunky stuff. The dialogue felt different in this. I feel there was a lot of similarities between the dialogue in the prequels and the original series, not just because George Lucas had a hand in it, but it felt like dialogue that was all part of the same universe and the dialogue in this felt very different well yeah i mean a bit when poe's saying so who talks now do you talk now do i talk now you know yeah that that felt a bit too weedy i was gonna say well i was gonna say quippy and and you do get quips in star wars but but this one just just seemed a little bit out but i was willing to kind of pass it off as a generation thing in the sense that you know this is an entire generation removed from you know the people who were there in the original trilogy 
and and language and you know idioms and stuff like that change you know pe- pe- people are like um our age speak different to that of our parents ages and so forth okay i found it quite but again we're doing them in quick succession i think that's why maybe it was more noticeable i found it more noticeable um yeah but yeah i found the the jokes did not land in this a couple of them did uh i i I thought you know some of the stuff with um finn and 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 han were really good finn and bb8 we'll use the four the force doesn't work like that. And yeah, Finn and BB-8 are great. Uh, I, I think John Boyega is definitely a highlight and, and probably the one with the best you know, comedic moments in here. Um, can, we, can we go to Jakku, though? Because I just want to talk about how much I really enjoy the introduction of Ray. Oh, it's character introduction 101. It's, it's perfect until she talks. You, you don't like how she talks? I... I had a real issue with the way dialogue was delivered in this movie. Just from start, I just did. I wish I didn't, but I did. No, the way she was introduced. And I think something that's really good throughout this film, which I think they did not get in the other films, is the actual vastness of the ships and the size. You know, her in these spaces and when the Millennium Falcon was flying around, the actual physical space and size of these things I thought was really well delivered in this. Oh yeah, I mean, I remember that opening bit when you see her kind of um, abseiling down the, uh, the the hangar of that star destroyer. I, I just loved that entire sequence. It, it was great just seeing With all that. With no music as um, well, just silence. Oh, yeah. It was a real. That was modern filmmaking for me in a well used, well placed character delivery. And then, and then we get the introduction of Ray's theme, which I think is one of my favourite themes of the new trilogy. I really like that bit of music. Do you know what? I'd forgotten how much I liked Ray. So for me, there is, there is one piece of music from each generation that, that has the holding power. And for the original series, it's obviously the Imperial March because it's so iconic. Uh, for the prequels, it's Jewel of the Fates. Um, but for the, for the sequel trilogy, it's actually... Uh, the March of the Resistance is my favourite, but so closely followed by Ray's theme. I'm breaking my own rule Can if I say this too. Oh, no, well, it's our podcast, we do one. The Resistance. The Resistance doesn't make much sense to me. How come? What are they resi- I mean, if, if you read the opening crawl, the Republic's been established, it is the new government, and, and there's talk of the rise of the First Order on the rims, but, you know, it, it's not at this point in time actively engaged in hostilities or anything like this and and layers setting up a resistance but it's like i i think it's the fact they called it the resistance it's like it's because you can't call it a rebellion right now isn't it Mm. and and this comes back to what i'm saying about the star wars fan film sort of thing you know if it was just I, i think if it was just you know it was um you know layers set up you know some you know department or what have you or or, or some team I, I think it comes down to the fact is at, at this point poe and everything should just be fighting on the part of the government and not be the plucky underdogs and all well, this uh, she's a and, splinter and cell isn't she basically because and i get why she set it up because her son has fucked off to join the sith and the new order first order sorry um so i get why she's created this um institution but yeah, I think rebellion is a is quite a stretch at this point. Um, mm. I I agree with the amount of resources she has available and stuff at this point. Um, and you know she's very charismatic. People will follow her. She was only a princess, but well, she was a general, wasn't she? Whatever you choose to call her, she was in charge or at least a very head, very near the top of the 
the rebels and everything else. So you can understand why people would follow her and everything like that. But I actually think you're right. I don't think it's until they use the the not Death Star in this movie that she'd actually be they would be the resistance. Yeah, I, but 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 it also comes down to the, the the reason they are getting the weapon to destroy to destroy the Republic to wipe out the capital is because they want to stop them helping the resistance and like i said it's one of these things where you sit down and you start pulling on these threads i mean i know we said in the prequels when you start doing it you know very quickly the scarf unravels here you pull it and it just kind of just collapses into a ball of string and it's a tangle and it's just like i don't know what to do with this now (laughs) it's very apparent they've worked backwards you know they've had names and they've had conceits and concepts, and they've worked backwards from there to weave a story where they tick these boxes, rather than having a story and then organically having these elements as part of it. This film is made on a Trello board, or Monday, or whatever your your thing is, and it's just a little tick mm. box. Have you written the bit of the script with the Millennium Falcon in? Yep, yep, done that. Tick. Have you got Luke's lightsaber in it? Yep, 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 tick. Got that bit too. Um, by the way... I still hate Anakin's lightsaber. Fucking thing won't die. I mean, I'm, I'm going to just take my perfect uh, replica of uh, Luke's uh, lightsaber that I have here and just put it over here so it doesn't hear the vile slurs you're throwing Look, at it. It is a beautiful prop and I get it. But it really bugs me that this is the thing that's like connecting everyone to the Force. Why? Oh, well, you see, that's a good story. For another time. Exactly. We don't get the story. Like, <laughs> I would much rather it was his green lightsaber. That would be way cooler if it was the, yeah. the green one. But it's not. It's the blue one. It's Anakin's. And I think the fact it's Anakin's lightsaber really annoys me. If it was just Luke's lightsaber, I would be fine with that. Or any other Jedi's. Obi-Wan's would be amazing here. Finding Obi-Wan's lightsaber. Oh, yeah. That would be, ah, oh, Obi-Wan's lightsaber. It calls to you. You must have a connection to the Skywalkers. Bum, bum, bum. That would be so much cooler. No, no. I just think it's a really basic bitch move to have it be Anakin's lightsaber. Oh well, if you like basic bitch moves, don't worry, we've got plenty more of those to come. Uh, but let, let's 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 wind it back in and let's let's go back to Jakku uh, because we're on Jakku because clearly they, they had at least had the self awareness to know that they just could not set another film on fucking Tatooine. <laughs> no, that's what all their TV shows are for. Yeah. So 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 very much a case of they were just. Ticking, desert planet, tick, done. It's silly, but it's fine. But yeah, I really like the introduction of Rey. I, I really like the way we see her going about her world. Just sitting there at the base of the, uh, the collapsed Atat and just putting on the old, you know, the helmet from a, um, a rebel ship, just like a kid would, you know, just sitting there, chilling out, having fun. I, I like looking off in the distance as you see the ships take off, you know, that sense of longing for adventure. Very cool. I really, really enjoy that. And, and yeah, just when meeting BB-8, I really like that dynamic. The, the, the stuff on Jakku is a lot of fun. It, it, it's still keeping me engaged and, and wanting to um, to find more on this story. It, it, for me, it only really starts to break down once we get the the revelation of Starkiller Base. And um, oh, it breaks down as for you say, before then. Where does it start breaking down for you? Don't get in that. That's a heap of junk. Blows up Dijon ship. Go to the heap of junk. Oh, look, it's a Millennium Falcon. Ha ha. Yay, the Millennium Falcon. How surprising that that's here. 
Well, yeah, I, I take your point, but the thing is, it's in the fucking trailer. We knew it was going to be just, there. Do you know what? I wish they'd destroyed the Millennium Falcon in this movie. I wish, like, I would, to me, this movie would have so much more. <laughs> Like, if this movie had had the guts to have them go to get in the Millennium Falcon and then blow the Millennium Falcon up and have to get in another ship instead, for me, that would be... That would make a huge difference. I think finding the Millennium Millennium Falcon... I think finding the Millennium Falcon is really contrite. It is that tick box fan service exercise, which I find really grating in this movie. I find grating in lots of kind of... um, sequels prequels homages to you know if it's not done with delicacy and with care and with artistry then it comes across as crap and my problem is i don't think it's done with any of those things i've gone on a See, i'm gonna disagree I I, I, I I here you go you, you wanted some disagreements here you go I'm, I'm, i disagree i disagree i i think the millennium falcon was always going to be in this film uh be it uh an, an edict from abrams or from disney or whoever but you know it, it was going to play a role and we knew that from the trailers going into this so that was fine and I think as far as introducing it it was interesting you know we were expecting Han to you know swoop in and save a day or something like this the way that it's a kind of a throwaway line of you know and that's garbage uh, and then the uh, the other ship they're heading toward is blowed up and the garbage will do and then the camera swings across and it's the Falcon I'm not gonna lie I thought it was a very cool little moment and it kind of ties into the whole you know, Luke first seeing it. What a hunk of junk. You know, I, I liked that connection. It, it it does feel that given what a fangirl she is of Star Wars, Ray would have known that was the Millennium Falcon. Oh my God, is this the Millennium Falcon? And you're Han Solo? But that aside, I, I don't have an issue with how he did that. And, and then the, uh, uh, the action sequence when, you know, the Falcon's trying to escape the TIE Fighters... I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I love the sequence of it trying to escape the TIE Fighters. That's great. Great sequence, great action, pure Star Wars. Amazing. Well, and good dialogue as well. It, the the dynamic between Ray, Finn and BB-8, it's a lot of fun in, in that sequence. There's the bit where BB-8 goes, goes weightless and he just kind of fires his harpoons to stop himself bouncing around, which I thought was a lot of fun. I think BB-8 is uh, a great droid addition to this as well. Um, in Star Wars, generally, oh, I think BB-8... Yeah. I was worried because I know BB-8 was so heavily marketed towards kids and kids' toys and everything else. I remember, like, packets of oranges coming with BB-8 printed on hmm. them. And I was worried going into it now that I'd have an issue with BB-8 and the way BB-8 is and just find them, like, the kids' toy in the film. But I didn't. I actually really enjoyed BB-8 retrospectively. I did at the time. Oh, I mean, I... I, I, I love I, just, I love that moment when you know Finn is trying to convince BB-8 to help him, uh, and he just goes, "Droid, please." <laughs> just, I think droids are treated with a lot love. more respect in this movie than they were in any of the other movies. That's true. Uh, I, 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 I thought that was a uh, well C-3PO aside, but to be perfectly honest, C-3PO deserved all the shit he gets in this. Oh, look at me in my red arm. Um, <laughs> save it. Rain in, rain in, rain in. Uh, I, I really like, I mean, again, just speaking about Finn uh, Boyega, I, I like the dynamic between him and Poe on the when they're escaping the Star Destroyer. I thought that was fantastic as well. Uh, it, it, it felt very kind of heisty. You know, they're trying to, to do this heist to steal this TIE fighter to get away. And then, you know, as we're trying to go, oh, wait, no, we forgot to unhook the thing. I thought that was great. I mean, the whole conceit about being a two-seater TIE fighter, whatever. But, you know, <laughs> that was very much a case of they got to that moment in the script and someone pointed out to them, TIE fighters are single-seaters. And they say, oh, shit, um... Just, just say it's a two-seater, it's fine. 
No, I think that's all great. I think, again, when it falls down for me massively is when Han Solo magically finds his ship. Mm, yeah, I, I will agree, actually, yeah. I don't hate Han Solo and, and Chewie in this film. You know, they, they had to be in it. I think that was important. And I'll, I'll give Harrison Ford his due. He showed up. You know, he is engaged in acting. And he seems to be having fun for a lot of it. Uh, I will say this, he doesn't feel like Han Solo. No. I think there's element. You see glimpses of Han Solo. I think when he had the moments with Leia, you really got a sense of their bond. Still, I liked his stuff with Rey. Um, I thought Han Solo was great when he wasn't on his own. I I didn't like kind of the solo Han Solo stuff. I don't know how to. I mean, the whole things with uh, what what do they call them? Reptiles or whatever they are. Oh, I could not give a they shit. They just look like those things. They look like those things out of fucking D and D. What are they? The Watchers or something? The Beholders. Um, yeah. The Beholders. Yeah. It's just that that entire sequence just does not feel Star Warsy. I think it's a real. I think that whole section could come out this movie completely, and you would lose nothing except twenty minutes of my life mm. would come back. It feels like a massive. <laughs> I just, I just don't get it. I don't understand. I mean, I do understand, but I just don't see why it's there. It doesn't add anything other than to show that Han is no longer with the Resistance. Well, in the nicest possible way, a much better way for me that they could have done that is flown the Millennium Falcon up into the... You know, they've escaped the TIE fighters. Phew! She's poking around and going, oh, why has it got this restrictor on it or this inhibitor? But she pulls it off and an autopilot engages, zips them across the universe, and they turn up to some beat-up station or somewhere, and Han Solo's like, well, my ship came back. Or, you know, that, that to me would have been much quicker, much funnier, and far more in keeping than adding a really bloated, expensive fight sequence that we didn't need. Mm. With, with the cast of Parade. <laughs> I remember watching it, and I was like, oh, these guys don't reappear, do they? This is It, it just felt like an unnecessary detour, and I can't believe people get pissy about the casino stuff in the next movie, but are completely okay with this 20-minute detour. Powder dry, powder dry, powder dry! <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we will get to The Last Jedi, and trust me, we have many, many thoughts to, uh, to, to talk to you about that. Uh, let's talk about Maz then, Maz Kanada, uh, who, who you say is the best character in this film. Why? I think she could be the best character in this film. Okay, that's fine, but she is... She, you want to talk about diversions and distractions and things which are just like, what the fuck is this whole thing here for? They turn up there... For reasons I still cannot remember. Because she's got information about where the rebel base is. Oh, resistance, sorry, and, where and the resistance are and Han Solo doesn't know. Because him and his girlfriend have broken up. Well, yeah, and, and apparently also has Luke Sky, uh, Skywalker's lightsaber and resistance agents and um, First Order agents just kind of hanging out there. It's clearly the cantina. <sighs> we need a cantina scene. Tick. I, I, I agree. Maz Kanada could be a really interesting character. She's kind of set up to be. I, you know, I think they're going for that kind of Yoda-esque vibe. But I just do not get enough out of her in this thing to, to, to warrant it. It's it's another mystery box. And that is the problem with this film at its core. It's fucking J.J. Abrams and his fucking mystery boxes. But if you paid another five ninety nine a month, you would get access to those mystery boxes. I mean, clearly, yeah, if I just go and read all the comics and play the Italian computer games and read the Italian novels and the novelizations, <laughs> this film very much feels like it is setting up a trilogy. 
And I don't think you can say that about any of the other films in the Star Wars saga to this point. You know, even Phantom Menace, even Attack of the Clones, none of them felt like they were existing solely to set up the next project, next film or the next series or anything like that. No. And this film had a lot to do. You know, this film had to introduce a lot of new characters, introduce us to a new world setting, which the prequels didn't have to do because we already knew the setting we already knew obi-wan there are no well there are well there's the same amount of legacy characters but we (laughs) jumping forward in time is much harder than jumping back in time in storytelling because you don't know where you're going and i think that's the big problem with this entire trilogy and this movie even in this movie it's clear they don't know where they're going i don't know i i don't think it's a problem them not knowing where they're going to go because quite frankly no, but, but, but they didn't know where they were going in the original trilogy. They didn't really know what... They didn't go where they were planning to go in the prequel trilogy outside of knowing they had to end up with, you know, Anakin as Darth Vader. So I don't have a problem with them not knowing where they're meant to be going. The problem here, though, is J.J. Abrams, he knew there was going to be a trilogy of films here. He was hired to write the first one. And what he's doing is he's leaving mystery boxes and breadcrumbs because in his mind, he knows where he wants things to go. Because he is clearly setting up Finn and Ray to be a, in a romantic dynamic in this film. Yes. There, there's multiple instances where that is his goal for those characters. He's he's clearly setting up Kylo Ren to do a a, a Vader-esque arc there. You know, that, that's kind of already set up. He, he's putting a lot of pieces in, in place and, and in play and then hoping that the next person is going to pick up those threads and, and take them forward. Now, if he was directing the entire trilogy, I'm sure this film on its own would probably be better because the next one would pick up a lot of those threads and they'd have gone somewhere. But, you know, we'll talk about that tomorrow when we get to that film. But that's just not the case. And it feels like he's less focused on telling a story in this film and much more concerned with setting up his mystery boxes and and, and setting the scene for the, the, the sequel trilogy, as it were, of what is to come. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think it's very clear that he knew where in his head he wanted it to go, but did not bother to tell anyone else and did not bother to give audiences enough information to force people to take it in that direction. Mm. Speaking about Finn, though. Yes? Finn, clearly for me, or I feel, is very clearly being set up as a force user in this movie. Yeah. Particularly up until... Uh, Ray touches the lightsaber. If you'd asked me, blind, who were the two I think was going to be the Jedi? Absolutely him, not her. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think that's definitely a thing. Uh, this made. Can we just talk very quickly about Finbo and his motivation? Yes. He, he, he is. The stormtroopers of the First Order are, as is said in this film, children who have been programmed from birth to be. Uh, to be stormtroopers, and 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 there's this whole thing about how, you know, he's being sent for reprogramming because you know he was non-compliant when he saw his friend die in front of him and blood smeared across his helmet. It's setting up here for him to be very um, uh, empathetic to the plight of the stormtroopers and the sense that you know they no, are, no, they are actually being used as a slave army. He just shoots them every time he sees one, stab him with a lightsaber. I mean, that's the thing, though. It's, I, I don't have a problem with him engaging in that. It's just a sense of, you know, after that's been set up as, as kind of a motivation for why he's trying to escape from the First Order, uh, 
after that, it's just like, no, oh, no, we'll just, just kill you all. It's fine. I found that when he had the lightsaber and was fighting, um, and he was just mowing down stormtroopers, um, and it was just like, oh, okay. Like, you were one 20 minutes ago. Um, which is fine, like you know, you've 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 overcome your programming, but where's the story about overcoming programming? And what I find bizarre is that is such a thing in the other associated media that's come out. We had rebels at this point, didn't we? Uh, no, I don't think we'd had rebels at this point. Let me just check that. We'd had. Let, let, let us go to the juries for a reading. <laughs> we had uh, Attack of the Clones, though, didn't we? <clears throat> Sorry, the Clone Wars. Yes, we've had the Clone Wars. So. Rebels uh, first aired. Oh, oh, so we would have had Rebels, yeah, 2014. So we have evidence of Stormtroopers being rehabilitated and clone troopers and stuff like that. And we know it's all programming and we're talking about programming. And, you know, the assumption is it's probably very similar types of programming that they used on the clone troopers, right? It's, you know, We have no idea. We, we, we can't make that assumption. We have no idea. All, all we know is that Kylo says, you know, perhaps we should have gone with a clone army. And Hux is like, my troopers are much better because they're brainwashed. But we've had other... My point is we've had other media that shows that there are real people underneath, that they do care, that, you know, mm. there is... They're not all evil monsters and they deserve saving. And I'm really amazed that that is not the story they try and tell here. I don't know why I'm amazed. Well, at least at least set it up. Yeah, you know, and tell it in some proprietary. But there's no. I think it is strange that he is so okay killing all the stormtroopers, and I can understand if we had some dialogue between him and Leia, which would be perfect. About you know, um, death would be better than being than continuing to be brainwashed or the agony of being of being forced to do these things you know if they could they could have framed him taking these actions as a mercy you know as as actually you know this is better than the alternative we didn't even get that we got absolutely nothing mm. which i think is a real disservice again to the actors who the caliber of actors that they have in here are completely capable of that of that level of nuance and acting and we just don't get it they are not being given the dialogue the story or the direction to tell that let's talk about hosni and prime for a second what's that you're saying what the hell is hosni and prime well i'm glad you asked rachel hosni and prime is the planet they blew up but you wouldn't know that unless you were an absolute nerd because it's not mentioned once in this film which I think is strange, because why blow up a planet we've never been to and have no reaction? Should have blown up Tatooine. Well, that'd been great, but more, more realistically, we'd be Coruscant, wouldn't it? Just any, any... I mean, the person who's at the front there is meant to be someone important as well, isn't it? Isn't that Leia's... Leia sent her in her place to talk to the council or something? Like, the, I mean, it's, it, I, know, I know there were tie-in books, which, I'll be honest, I didn't read, but... I know the woman that we see there is meant to be it's meant she's meant to be important to Leia that mm. we see her. Leia also appears not to react when an entire system is destroyed either. Mm. And I'm, I'm not I, I I am I am biting my tongue very hard and not point out all the scientific issues with like light speed lasers and are you going to see these planets from a different star system and anything like that no i'm not saying any of those things i am thinking them very loudly but i know this is a fantasy film and not a science fiction film so i'm just gonna bite my tongue but it would have made way more sense if they'd targeted a planet in the same system as this planet that they're on 
a planet and its moons. Planets in the same system, because it blows up multiple planets, doesn't it? Could it could be a planet and its moons, and it would have the same effect. I almost think it destroys too much. It's, I mean, Starkiller it, Base is yeah. fucking dumb. Oh, that, I mean, that is, you, you, you've not been nailed on the absolute head. The thing is, though, the whole conceit of Starkiller Base is stupid, and they even acknowledge it in the film by with Han saying, okay, so it's bigger. But yeah, this idea that A, it destroys multiple um, planets at a time. Secondly, how does it charge? It charges by draining the star that it's surrounded. But they say sun rather what? than star. My point is, though, it does this. Then what? The sun is gone. Uh, so you have to move the entire planet? It's a one-shot deal, but you've just fired it once. It's... Again, it's fantasy. It's fantasy. It's fine. But also, it's there's fine. no. But you're right. It's it's too it's too big. It's too. It, it's trying to do too much. Whereas, there's been a ton of super weapons in Star Wars history you could have chosen from. It didn't have to be this one. Star Killer Base just doesn't work. It it has the same problem. And again, I think that's the problem. Is even fuck if they just made the damn thing square, it would have been better. You know, the fact that it is tied on, it's so clearly another Death Star. And it's like, great, this is another Death Star. Look, they're going to put a super weapon in. That's a given. It's going to be a big Death Star just because by its nature is given. It's just, like you said, it, it does too much. If they'd have said, oh, this Death Star can fire on any star in in the galaxy, you know, that, 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 that is a big enough risk without it being too mind-bendingly stupid. I also don't understand. And without it having to charge by draining the fucking sun. <laughs> Just so much of it is dumb. And I think, as you say, you start to pull on the thread and realise that you've got a mess of wool rather than a scarf in the first place. I don't mind it being dumb, though, because as I've said all along, Star Wars should be pulpy, silly, science fictiony gump you know it's, it's the sort of you know it's a, it's a, it's a Saturday morning show the problem is they treat this film too seriously yes they, they, no one in this film is in on the joke except maybe Harrison Ford I don't know Adam Driver's really good in this and I wonder he's good I, think, I don't I don't think he's in on the joke <laughs> but I think he gets in on the jokes by the next ones maybe but that's the next he's one. definitely chewing the scenery in this though Adam Driver Adam Driver looks like he's having a great time being proto Darth Vader Oh, oh yeah, no. he's having a lot of time, and, and there's a lot of fun with the scenes with him and his stormtroopers. Like, I, I like the fact that you know he's—it's the barely contained rage. Like when he's given the bad news that the droid has escaped, you know, and he just starts absolutely going to town on the console, and then he just calmly says, "Anything else?" And then he says, "There was a girl," and I, I howled with laughter watching it this time because when there was a girl, and it's his reaction to it, pulling the guy over into a force grip a girl I'm like oh wow you're the toxic Star Wars fans aren't you and and I started to wonder was Kylo Ren like a self-insert character for someone here because he's so utterly obsessed on getting the only other girl we've now seen in Star Wars um, that you know he, he, he just he, he never he's, she's just the girl you know nothing else is needed no I mean, description she's, it's she's just called the girl the by girl. Leia Han she's very rarely actually <laughs> referred to as Rey and it is quite difficult mm -hmm. to watch yeah, I, 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 I was starting to wonder. I, there's that great bit as well when Ray's escaped. Uh, by the way, I love a Fifty Shades of Ray meme, um, but uh, that's a different uh, discussion. But I love a moment when, when that's happened and 
Kylo's carving up a chair and you've got the sparks flying out. And the two stormtroopers walk around the corner. They see the sparks. They just stop and go, maybe we'll take a long way around. Okay, so my, my final question, to, well, probably our final, my final question to you. The First Order, right? Do yeah. we remember the Empire, the Imperial Empire? Yes. They felt like they had gravitas, right? They felt like they had age. They felt like they had people that had been in it for decades. They'd worked up to positions, you know, lifelong career people in the Empire. Why does everyone in the First Order look like they've just come out of Army Cadets? I actually have a thought about this. Okay. Um, I don't think this is a deliberate uh, decision on the part of the filmmakers, but I think it's an important aspect to perhaps to bear in mind. So, so one of the interesting things uh, that came out of the original Star Wars and the prequels is a lot of the people w- we see in the Empire, especially in the senior roles, were part of the Republic. They were, uh, you know, you have Wolf Ularan, who was a uh, an admiral in the Republic Navy and, you know, very um, a, a very good man. And, and you know, he is um, now the head of the uh, security bureau. Tarkin is someone who we see in the... Um, the Republic as well. You know, a lot of these characters, they were in a democratic government and when that government changed into an empire, rather than resist or resign or try and do anything, they just kind of went along with it. Uh, and, and there's a lot of analogies there to the rise of fascism. You know, the empire is very deliberately kind of built upon the ideals of, you know, Nazi Germany. And what I think you're seeing with uh, the First Order is it's the rise of the neo-Nazis, it's the rise of people who have, you know, decided to adopt a an ideology and, and 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 look at this, but they're so far removed. You know, the people who were there know that it was horrible, and they know that no, you don't want to do that because the ones who were on board with it, by and large, uh, they they had the um, short drop and a sudden stop. You know, the, the ones who were like active participants in in those regimes were eliminated, and what's happened now with what some. 60, 70, 80 years later on, we've seen in recent years the rise of neo-Nazis and far-right ideologies and popularism, which is aping a lot of those things, generally speaking, in younger people. And I think that's what you're seeing here. I don't think that's a deliberate choice on the part of filmmakers, but I think that's a way you can read into what is the First Order. It's basically neo-Nazis. It's it's Empire fanboys. I totally agree with reading the first order as like a neo-nazi version of you know poor imitation of of their grandfather's ideals but i also agree with you i do not think that was intentional in this film i think that's a happy accident or i'm not sure happy is the right word i I wouldn't say happy accident but i I definitely think we're being very generous to the filmmakers in that um because i think if that was actually the case i think they draw attention to it and they don't i think that's my feeling with a lot of things in these films where they have come a this film particularly where it's given us some detail or some idealism or found some symmetry or imagery i'm not sure how much of that is intentional and how much of that is you know done is us reading into it in that way um Mm. but yeah i just i found it i definitely found it today when i was re-watching this really noticeable how young the first order were um and i mean even in terms of background characters there's no there is for me there was just a lack of generational difference or even age everyone kind of felt about the same 
you know, early 20s to mid 30s age and no one really felt any older. Well, with, with the exception of, as you say, you kind of like legacy cast or Max von Snyder, there, there was just a sense that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the young, running around the galaxy is a young person's game. <laughs> and I actually liked Snoke in this, um, but I certainly did not feel Emperor Palpatine controlling anything in this. I watched this and I was like, I got no hint of Palpatine in there whatsoever. I mean, it's things like the, um, even the inclusion of Darth Vader's mask and that scene feels so superfluous. It, it the, the scene exists solely to just show him talking to the burnt mask. It, 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 it doesn't really carry the story forward at all. I don't think, because, you know, one of the great powers of uh, the Emperor is we don't even meet him until the third film. We, we see a hologram in the second, but, you know, that's it. But, you know, I think Snoke is far too present here. I did like the dynamic between Hux and Kylo, the kind of, you know, bickering siblings vying for the attention. You know, no, Hux is not afraid of Kylo in this film in the same way that, you know, Admiral Piet and everything was afraid of Vader. But I suppose if you look back at the very first Star Wars, they weren't necessarily afraid of Vader. You know, they, they were having arguments with him. He'll force choke him, but then Tarkin says, enough! Cease this bickering. So uh, I, I, I think that's perhaps another deliberate uh, aping here. A couple of things I want to talk about, though, that I, I think... Um, I have I, I, I wish I have issue with, but I think there are issues in this upcoming trilogy that start here. And I, I don't think these are necessarily the fault of the director and the filmmakers. But I think it's the fact they kill off Han in this film. It doesn't and, work for me. Well, it doesn't work. And in doing so you have robbed us of what I think a lot of people wanted and I think why there's so much um, hate thrown towards the subsequent films is there's no reunion between Han, Leia and Luke on screen. I think people were hoping to have a scene where these three came together. It doesn't have to be much, but just, just a sequence. And I think Harrison Ford signed on to this on because you know he's been wanting to be killed off since Empire. You know, that, that was, you know, he was sick of doing these back then. And I think he agreed to come on for a shit ton of money on the condition his character was killed off in this film. And I don't I think dislike they... his death. No, I don't like... <laughs> all, all, I, all I said when, 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 when it happened and he fell is I go, and finally Harrison Ford finds peace because that was very much the vibe that was oh, going on was. there. I think the scene with Adam Driver's great. And I think it makes sense sort of with the narrative they're telling, but I think it is a real shame that you didn't get the three characters together. And I think it would have been really easy to do so. I don't know why they couldn't have gone to see Luke before going to Starkiller Base, because they had, you know, if they'd done the map in the other order and then gone to Starkiller Base, and Luke had refused to go with them, and the last scene of the three of them was them arguing, or, you know, Luke refusing to come and help or whatever, you know, that would have been really powerful and would have really echoed kind of Obi-Wan and Yoda, you know, who would not, you know, who had that guilt, that Jedi guilt. Is it like Catholic guilt? It certainly looks like it in this movie and the next movies. But, you know, that, I think it's right. I think if you're going to kill Harrison Ford, I think killing Harrison Ford's character 
in this movie robs the audiences of a lot, which is really bizarre considering they spend the whole movie showing you all the stuff you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it just feels that a, a missed opportunity. I, I would draw a lot of comparisons between this and Picard, the uh, the Star Trek show. In invert, it's creating a lot of rods for its own back by engaging with the nostalgia and and with pulling in these elements to the point where you're only going to satisfy the fans if you effectively just give Star Wars again. And and they do just give Star Wars again, but they don't give it in, in, in quite the right way. That being said, as we said, this film made $2 billion and is generally still seen in a very positive light. And I am not saying this is a bad film at all. It's a very well-made film and a lot of people love it. But for me, it just, it feels thin. It, it, it feels like fan fiction. I'm like, I could watch this or I could watch any one of the other films and I'd probably watch one of the others. This would not be my go-to Star Wars film to throw on. This would never be a go-to Star Wars film for me. It doesn't feel Star Warsy enough. I think you're right. We agree. And I think I think JJ backed whoever is next in the line to make a movie into such a corner where there was no way out that people were going to be happy. The way they have characters have been manoeuvred and where they now are, there is no there is no answer that is going to keep people happy at this point. Well, uh, once again, we will uh, we will have that discussion tomorrow. I feel we um, will, we will. But 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 JJ uh, Abrams very definitely had an idea of where this film was going to go next, um, and it just wasn't there. Uh, also, what the fuck's up with Arto in this film? Why is he even in this film? Why was he not just off with fucking Luke? Because that would have made so much more sense than whatever the hell he's doing in this. Oh, I'm afraid R2-D2 is sleeping. Nap time. It's nap time. And then he just happens to wake up for no reason right after they've destroyed Starkiller Base. If someone just gave him a fucking kick, like, you know, right after BB-8 showed back up, we could have been over and done with this film. And a lot of people would probably still be alive, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I felt C-3PO was in it just to tell us that he was in it. Oh, I don't know if you noticed, but he was the one with the red arm. That was 3PO? I know. It's, huh. I know it's really hard to tell with his red arm, but that is actually oh, 3PO. I, I, I would have, oh, I, I, I never would have guessed if you hadn't said anything. I know. Um, oh, I wonder if we could find out about that in a comic or something. I believe there's several books dedicated to it. I think not having R2 with... with Luke was a real shame, especially as it was so clearly his robot, you know, or his droid. So clearly, R two was Luke's droid in the in the prequel in the sequels, um, not the sequels, the original trilogy, um, yes. and the prequels really set him up as Anakin's droid, you know. And I think, yeah, it was a, it was mm-hmm. a bit of a shame because he wasn't with Leia either, and I can understand Leia sadly gaining C three PO from her mother because um, that's very much how that felt. Oh, Padme got stuck oh, yeah. with this rust bucket. Now you can too. Um, but yeah, I mm, BB eight is a superior droid. Well, BB-8 is great, but I just I just don't know why why I don't know why R2 is in this film, given what he does, and I don't. It, it just makes no sense that he's oh he's in low power mode. Why? Why is he in low power mode? Why is he just uh, just kind of hanging out and not doing anything? And then he just suddenly wakes up for no reason. There's there's no there's no motivating factor to make him wake up. He just somewhere. suddenly goes. Bo- I bet a book tells you. I bet there's a book or a comic or a tie-in audio play that tells you why he wakes up. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there is, but it's it's just like 
it, it, it just it, it just annoys me. It, it's very, very lazy story writing. And there's a lot of that in this film. There's a lot of very lazy stuff. The stuff with Maz Kanada, where, where did you get Luke Skywalker? A good story for another time. Tell me now. I mean, I mean, there's that, there's that bit, the great bit where Ray touches the lightsaber and you suddenly get this amazing sequence where you see Cloud City, you hear Vader noise. But then you start seeing Luke and um, R2 with the temple on fire and you see Kylo and the Knights of Ren, which, you know, still at this time sounded like something really cool in that reigning sequence. There's all these really cool bits there, but rather than expand upon them or tell them on there, it's just, it's little... Little mystery boxes, little things for you to open later on and discover, yeah? Well, that's all right, then. <laughs> Except we never do open them and discover them because he doesn't direct the next one and it goes in a very different direction. Well, that's all right, then. <laughs> oh, no, I think you'll find it was not all right. I think you'll find the fans were not happy. Oh, I'm afraid the deflector shield would be quite operational when your friends arrive. Oh, wait, we, have, we haven't even spoken about Phasma. She had a shiny spacesuit. I don't have a problem. I, I do not have a problem with what we do with Phasma because that is very much in keeping with a proud tradition of people in cool costumes doing absolutely fuck all. But- it's a waste of Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn Christie. I accept it's a waste of Gwendolyn Christie, but they did. She's the Boba Fett of the movie. Move on. Are, are you... Uh, I mean, you say it's a waste of her, but I mean, you know, at the same time, you've got a waste of Max von Sydow. There's a waste of Mark Hamill. I think there's a waste of Carrie Fisher, quite frankly. I think there's a lot of characters in here that it's just... Do you know what? The Carrie Fisher stuff really stings, actually, in this. And I am not looking forward to tomorrow. Or no, I'm looking forward to tomorrow because I think her performance in that is, from memory, amazing. I am not looking forward to the day after. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, i got to tell you, I, I, I went into this expecting to enjoy this film a lot more than I have done. I, I remember thinking that this was basically on a par with Star Wars. What? Did you? <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, 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 I sat down thinking, you know what? This isn't my favourite, but, you know, it's at least as good as Star Wars. It'll be fine. Uh, and, and then I really like The Last Jedi from Recollection. Maybe that's changed. We'll see. But I really like The Last Jedi and I really dislike The Rise of Skywalker. And, and I just kind of thought this was just as a baseline. This would be fine. But, yeah, I, I, I mean... I think this movie is fine. We'll do a ranking at the end, I'm sure, but this is very much the bottom, the bottom tiers at the moment. I would watch Phantom Menace over this movie. Ooh, would I do that? Yes, because Phantom Menace is a new story. If I wanted to watch this story, I'd put on a new hope. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. With that terrible information, we're going to end 2023. Well, that was, a, that was a bit of a damp squib, which I think is very fitting, don't you? <laughs> yeah, um, so we will be back tomorrow, the 1st of January 2024, watching From Memory, my favourite film in the Skywalker saga. Yeah, uh, so, so we're going to start 2024 with a controversial take that uh, a lot of people do not agree on. So uh, that'll be fun. It will be fun, but you know what? <laughs> I'm okay with that. Um, so yeah, we'll be back tomorrow where we have watched uh, The Last Jedi. I could offer you this very nice mystery box. Oh, boy, what's in the mystery box? You're going to have to wait until tomorrow, and maybe you'll find out. Oh, boy. 